Hello, church family and friends. I'm so excited for this time as we sit under God's Word. This is the final part of our sermon series through the book of 1 Timothy. Praise the Lord, we're able to finish another book in the Bible together as a church. So today's sermon is called Guardians of the Gospel, and it's from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. The Olympic flame is used as a symbol of the modern Olympic movement. It always starts at the opening ceremony at the start of the ancient Olympic Games in Olympia, Greece. The flame is started by the sun using a parabolic mirror and then gets passed along to different people who transport the flame, mostly by foot, to wherever the Olympic Games are held. This is an arduous journey, but there are many measures to ensure that the original flame from Olympia does not get lost uh, en route to the host city. For example, there are many backup flames also from the place of origin that can be used just in case um, the flame goes out on the torch. The first Olympic relay was in 1928 when the Olympic flame traveled 3,187 kilometers and was carried by 3,331 runners to Berlin, Germany. Back in 1956, the Olympic flame went into the southern hemisphere for the first time ever, traveling 20,470 kilometers and carried by 3,118 people, even passing through Jakarta on its way to Melbourne, Australia. The spirit of the Olympic Games, symbolized by the original flame being carried across long distances by many people, is very much like the image that Paul used here in today's passage. His final words in this letter to his beloved disciple Timothy was to guard the deposit entrusted to you. They were entrusted with this gospel message that they were to take hold of and carry throughout their lifetimes and then pass along to the next generations until Christ returned to earth and to his full glory for his final judgment. They were to be guardians of the gospel. Let's read today's passage of Scripture. Like I said, it's the conclusion to the entire book of 1 Timothy. And this is what the Apostle chose to be his last message to Timothy as well as to the church in Ephesus. This is God's Word. 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. This is the one thing from 1 Timothy 6, 21 and 22, a simple but rich message for us today as we aim to run this gospel relay faithfully and pass it along to future generations. Guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us. Today's sermon will be an exposition of these two verses of Scripture as well as a review of the entire letter that Paul wrote. The question that we'll be answering as we go through this passage is this. How do we guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us? And there will be five ways that we will look back on as themes from 1 Timothy that explain how we are to guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us. Are you ready? So let's pray first uh, one more time and ask for God's grace and anointing upon us during this preaching moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, What an amazing privilege that you have given us. 
this gospel message that comes from your word. May we not listen carelessly. May not our hearts be calloused to the stewardship. May we not take it for granted, thinking that we know it all already. But may we as a church, as HMCC, be faithful in guarding this gospel that you have entrusted to us. Holy Spirit, do your work in us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go. Let's go for it. The first way that we can guard the gospel that's been entrusted to us is to know the biblical gospel. Timothy was entrusted with teaching the church what the Bible says about the gospel. We guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us by knowing this biblical gospel. In verse 20, Paul wrote, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. The deposit refers to something valuable that someone else gives to another person's care. This deposit is clearly the biblical gospel that he talked about throughout his entire letter to Timothy and articulated very well and very clearly in chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man, was chosen to be the substitute sacrifice for the sins of his people, a ransom for all. This is the message of good news. Our sins are paid for by Jesus' blood, and we can be reconciled with God by believing this and receiving this free gift of salvation. Paul said that he saw himself as appointed by God, one who would bring this biblical gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles, including to the citizens of Ephesus. Paul passed this deposit to Timothy, his, his spiritual son in the faith, and as a pastor commissioned by Paul of the church in Ephesus. He literally passed this precious message entrusted to him by Christ to Timothy, who was to guard the deposit. As Paul put it in 1, chapter 1, verse 18, he now entrusted to Timothy to wage the good warfare. It was a war and something that he had to fight for and to guard vigilantly because of the false teaching that had infiltrated the church. He used such dramatic terms because of what was at stake and what powers were at play. He wrote in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, that some will depart from the faith due to the satanic influence of false teachers, these wolves in sheep's clothing. So one of Timothy's main responsibilities at the time was to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine that were based on mythologies and genealogies and, and that were not founded on scriptures. Timothy's ministry of the word was so that they could know the gospel and doctrines of the Bible so well they could spot and reject any other false teaching. Even more so, Christians could then also wisely discern as they knew God's word for themselves, as they prayed, as they were guided by the Holy Spirit himself, they could discern the will and desire of God for all areas of their lives. There is a difference 
between thinking you know the biblical gospel and really knowing it. Between thinking you know about sound doctrine and really knowing it. Let me explain what I mean by talking about physics. I suffered through one year of physics in high school and three semesters of it in university because I was an engineering major. And and through listening to the lectures and reading the textbooks, I learned about the major areas of physics like mechanics and thermodynamics and electromagnetism. And through problem sets and labs, I learned how to use the formulas to calculate things like energy and force so I I could understand it better. Unfortunately, midterms and final exams were the times that I got exposed. I did terrible on them, which showed that I actually didn't really know physics like I should have. In fact, as I progressed In my studies as an engineer, I learned that engineering is simply taking those principles of physics and applying it to real life. You really have to know physics to be a good engineer. Engineers who would build safe bridges and skyscrapers or who would make rockets that send people to space. They don't just know physics okay. They really know it and thus they can apply it to those real life situations. This is what we're striving to do in our church with the biblical gospel. We do know what's at stake. There are so many false teachings out there that cause some confusion at best and abandonment of faith at worst. We do our very best to preach biblical sermons that instill the biblical gospel and sound doctrine. In our membership interviews, we ask prospective members to articulate the gospel for themselves and to, ma- uh, and to, and to make sure that they really know it and to, and to share how the gospel has changed their lives, which is harder. That's actually harder than it seems. I can testify that one of the best ways to really learn the gospel is by sharing it with others. When I first tried, I stumbled all over my words. But, as I kept doing it, I got better at explaining the main points of the gospel. And also, while this happened, I started thinking to myself, wait a second, this message isn't just for the person that I'm talking to. This message is for me too. That I am a worse sinner than I could, than I could ever fathom. That God's whole, God is holier than I could ever, ever imagine. And salvation, the salvation that I'm talking about, is purely God's gift of grace to me, too. I mention this so that we don't take for granted what, what we do in our Christian lives. It is so that the biblical gospel gets soaked deeper into our hearts so that we really know it. And this leads me to our first life application in light of knowing the biblical gospel. Life application number one, make it a habit to articulate the gospel to yourself and others. Learn how to counsel yourself with the gospel. We did this in our mid-year summit for our church leaders, so you can ask them about it. When you are with others, Christians or people of other, other faiths, Share how you're processing the gospel in light of the situations that you're currently facing. 
This is a great way to, to not only fellowship with Christians, but also to share your faith with people of other religions as well. So knowing the biblical gospel is the first way we guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us. Now the second way that we guard the gospel that's been entrusted to us is to develop godly leaders. Develop godly leaders. Timothy needed to recognize and call Christians who could, who could lead the church faithfully. We guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us by developing as godly leaders. As Timothy was to guard the deposit entrusted to him, he was also to avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge that came from false teachers. In chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, we saw that these false teachers were motivated by this unhealthy craving to be in the middle of controversies and quarrels and by the prospect of financial gain. But throughout his letter, Paul said that the way that we counteract this influence in the church was to develop godly leaders for the church. Having biblically qualified leaders would also further equip the church with the biblical gospel as well so, so that they could discern for themselves true sound doctrine from false teaching. Paul affirmed people who aspired to serve the church. Men who wanted to be elders were desiring a noble task. And men and women serving well as deacons could really develop a more confident faith in Christ. Christ-like character was of utmost importance when it came to selecting these officers for the church. Having time-tested uh, faith running their homes well, being above reproach, and having a good reputation among outsiders. The elders in particular were to be able to teach the scriptures. This was their main ministry in the church as they shepherded, disciplined, and led through the authority of God's word. In turn, the church was to recognize this responsibility, as Paul, as Paul instructed, in chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders rule who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The church was to carefully select and then honor their elders. They were to take care of the ones whom God had called to take care of them, especially those who were entrusted to labor in preaching and teaching. The responsibility of owning the church, however, didn't fall on the elders alone. The whole church was supposed to handle matters of conflict resolution and discipline involving elders as they would with any other member of the church, with fairness and due process that Jesus taught in Matthew 18. This, in fact, would be how, one way to honor their elders. They were to protect them against false accusations, but also take seriously charges brought up against them and give them the opportunity to be confronted with the gospel again. Now let's break down this phrase, develop as godly leaders, as it pertains to our church. Now I, I intentionally did not say develop some godly leaders, like it's only for a special few, but for all of us to develop as godly leaders. We want to have a leadership 
culture in HMCC. That means every member sees themselves as owners of the church. We take ownership of our growth in knowing the biblical gospel, protecting the church against false teaching, and developing our own character towards Christ-likeness. So in other words, we take the initiative to grow this way for ourselves, and we care about the growth of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And I've been blessed to see this in so many who have served our church through leading life groups or leading ministry teams over the years. Even though it takes patience, leaders can experience the blessing of being at the front row of people changing and maturing. Even though it's painful at times, they experience the gospel in greater ways as they have to deal with their own issues as they serve others. Also, this leadership culture over time will produce godly leaders whom God will call to be elders and deacons for our church. I'd like to invite us all to regularly pray for godly elders and deacons to be called by God and by the church in the next season of our church from from now until the next 10 years and for even future generations to come. This leads me to the second life application in light of developing godly leaders. Life application two, take steps of ownership regarding the health of the church. I like how we're moving as a church towards understanding membership in the local church and and the great responsibility that that entails. Take personal initiative to grow in the biblical gospel, sharing the gospel with others, Christians and to all and to people from all other religions, serving fellow brothers and sisters with the goal and desire to see them grow spiritually as well, and pray for the church's culture of, of leadership. So developing as godly leaders is the second way we guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us. Now the third way that we guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us is to commit to be church family. Timothy also instructed the church about how to function as the household of God. And we guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us by committing to be a church family. Let's look at our passage of Scripture again. Timothy was to guard the, good de- uh, guard the deposit, the biblical gospel that had been entrusted to Paul and passed along to Timothy. They were to do this because of the false teachers who were promoting what is falsely called knowledge. There were some from among the church that were professing this heresy and thus wandering from the, from the faith in Christ. In other words, Christians were to guard the gospel that, they, that had been entrusted to them by knowing the biblical gospel. Developing as godly leaders would help them as, as these leaders would teach them how to discern between false teaching and the truth from the scriptures. And additionally, those tempted by these, spirit, uh, by these false teachings could be prevented from wandering away by developing as a healthy spiritual family. In contrast to the gradual straying away of people from the church, Paul gave some strong imagery about what the church was supposed to be in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. 
I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how, uh, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The Christians that made up the church in Ephesus were supposed to behave as the household of God. In other words, as God's family. These brothers and sisters in Christ were to collectively be a pillar and buttress of the truth. Together, they were to be stronger than as individuals trying to guard the gospel, uh, biblical gospel on their own. Pillars and buttresses bear the weight internally for buildings and are also externally visible for the people outside of the building to see. In the same way, God's people were to bear the weight of being God's household and guarding the biblical gospel together. And in being God's household this way, they would display and demonstrate this truth to the world around them. Paul also instructed Timothy in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, to rebuke, to not rebuke his church members harshly, but to encourage older and younger women Older men and women, treating them as spiritual fathers and mothers. And younger men and women, treating them as spiritual brothers and sisters. Then in chapter 5, verses 3 through 16, Paul went on to specifically instruct the church how to properly take care of their own spiritual family members in need. Specifically, widows with or without their own biological families. Finally, in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the apostle addressed Christian slaves, instructing them to respect their masters and to work well for them, especially if they were fellow believers. If we think about it, this is really important instruction for the church to commit to being spiritual family, overcoming barriers like cultural gaps, life stage gaps, or social social class gaps. To be honest, having a church family that has a variety of social classes is complicated, isn't it? It's a lot more comfortable to be with people who look like you and live like you. But it's also a lot less enriching. Those with financial resources have the opportunity to practice generosity generosity and other good works, helping those who are in need in the church. Those who lack financial resources contribute in a subtle but extremely important way as well. They remind us of, they remind all of us that there is eternal life after this temporary one is done that will be so much greater. Thus we can let go of our idols like money uh, and, and trust that Christ, trust in Christ and in his promises uh, that they are worth waiting for. This is the blessing of struggling and suffering together as a spiritual family. Having our lives intertwined with spiritual family does get messy, but it is a built-in way for us together to identify false teaching and false gods and to also guard the gospel in our minds, hearts, and lives. And so here's the third life application that that we can take in light of developing in light of committing to Christ-centered, to be Christ-centered family. It's life application number three is commit to Christ-centered relationships with spiritual family. The struggles don't have to be based on social class either. It can be anything. 
But the biblical gospel not only breaks down the walls between us and God, it breaks down the walls between each other. Christ-centered relationships means loving, forgiving, encouraging, gathering, praying for, caring about, and serving. This is guarding the biblical gospel by living it out together as God's household. And so committing to be church family is the third way that we guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us. Now the fourth way we guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us is to train for true godliness. Timothy charged the church to pursue godliness and modeled it for them in his own life. We guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us by also training for true godliness. Paul wrote in verses 20 and 21 that there was this real threat of false knowledge that was leading people to swerve from the faith, literally taking wrong turns from true sound faith in Christ to indulge in sinful desires, whether it be a love for money mentioned in chapter 6, verse 10, in quarreling with others or obsessing towards uh, about outer, outward beauty and looks mentioned in chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Instead, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul instructed the church gathered to be characterized as people of prayer and thus living peaceful and quiet lives, carrying themselves with godliness and dignity. You see, their corporate practice of godliness would train them also to be godly as the church scattered in all other areas of their lives. This idea of godliness, as we've been saying all throughout this sermon series, is a prominent theme in 1 Timothy. It is faith in the biblical gospel that synchronizes with real life. And Paul said this specifically about godliness in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. As a faithful servant of Christ, Timothy was trained in the biblical gospel and sound doctrine. He was also trained for godliness. This was valuable because it was living out God's heart and will for his life on earth and investing his life into eternally valuable endeavors. But this training for godliness wasn't just for himself. It was for the sake and practice of the church as well. As Paul wrote in chapter 4 verses 11 through 16, Timothy was to train, to teach to train, and to be an example for people towards godliness. He was to teach, devoting himself to the word, ministry of the word by public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. He was to dedicate himself to godliness, thus being an example for the rest of the church in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. He wasn't supposed to be perfect, in these areas of life, but he was to allow people to see his progress towards godliness. This is a great picture of discipleship in the local church. You know, sometimes discipling people 
can become so intimidating in our heads. But it doesn't have to be this way. It's what Christians can be doing and ought to be doing. In fact, we do it this way. We we do this as we gather together in Sunday celebrations and life groups. When we take in God's word uh, through sermons and Bible studies, we teach each other. For example, I learn so much from others when they when they discuss and when they give input to Bible studies uh, when we when our, my life group gathers. We also connect the word to our lives. Sometimes we share our victories, sometimes we and celebrate together, sometimes we share uh, our struggles and we encourage one another. Sometimes we have to challenge each other. These are all chances that we can speak the gospel to each other. And this is how we train each other for true godliness. We take what we do as the church gathered and translate it into what we do as the church scattered. I've been encouraged to hear testimonies of our church members doing Bible studies with co-workers and employees and friends. That's awesome for me to hear. For me personally, I've been doing Bible readings and studies with my wife and my oldest son for our daily devotions for the last several months. And by God's grace, God's been training me for godliness in my home. It hasn't just stopped with Bible readings and Bible study. God is helping me to, to, to by bringing up issues, uh, God is helping me to bring up issues with, with our kids with, uh, instead of with angry outbursts, but with, in, in greater constructiveness. He's teaching me how to build up my wife by listening and sharing encouraging words. He's teaching me how to build more relationships with non-Christians in our own neighborhood that we live in. So here's another life application for us in light of training for true godliness. Life application four, invite others that God has put into your life to follow Jesus with you. Training is really hard to do alone, isn't it? But doing it with others can push us in the right way. Take the initiative to open up to others during life group. Take the initiative to ask for coaching or accountability from others or to offer coaching and accountability to someone so that we can make progress in our godliness at home and work and in all other areas of our lives. So training for true godliness is the, is the fourth way to, that we guard the gospel that's been entrusted to us. Now finally, the fifth and final way to guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us, is to hope in the eternal promise. Timothy instilled into the church the hope of Christ's reign and his imminent return. And we guard the gospel that has been entrusted to us by hoping in the eternal promise. Just as a review, Timothy and the rest of the church were to be trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine. They were to be also trained towards godliness. And this godliness is valuable not only for the present life, but also for the life to come. This is how Paul toiled and strived in his lifetime because his hope was set on God, was set on his salvation and the promise of heaven to come. This would be most noticeable in the way Christians Uh, viewed and used their money in the present age, as we talked about last week from chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Rich in good works, 
to be generous and ready to share. They were to hold on to the hope that their treasure in heaven was a much better investment than any money that they, that they were to use for themselves on earth. This was what Paul passed along to Timothy and to the church in this letter. And as, as he got to chapter 6, verse 12, he reiterated this message. Look at this. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy was to run away from sinful desires and run towards Christ-like character. They were to fight the good fight of faith. They were to take hold of the eternal life to which they were called. In other words, they were able to fight to be faithful until that end would come when Jesus would return victoriously and take His people home. They were to hold on to this eternal promise to them. Hold on to it by faith until it became a reality. That's why it's so significant that Paul closed his letter with this in verse 21. Grace be with you. It was a normal way to conclude letters in the ancient world, but it, is also meant, it also meant something significant. Guarding the gospel this way, knowing the biblical gospel, developing as godly leaders, committing to be a church family, training for true godliness, and hoping in the eternal, eternal promise seems really stressful to do, doesn't it? It's a great weight to bear if, if we assume that we have to do it on our own strength. But thankfully, Paul says, grace be to you, be with you. The grace of God is the ace that is, uh, that is uh, up our sleeves. We, also have to, we always have as our assurance that we will overcome because of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. It is because of Jesus we are assured it is because of the grace of God we are assured that we will make it until the end. Just going back to the Olympic relay, the Olympic relay idea, when that sacred torch finally reaches the host city, it actually marks, not the end, it actually marks the beginning of the main event. It's the Olympic Games themselves. Church family, we are still in this great relay race on the way to God's eternal promise of our, of our heavenly home. And when this relay race is over, eternal life will just begin. And so this is a relay for each of us to know the biblical gospel deep in our hearts. This is, this is a relay in which we develop as godly leaders who serve those around us and serve future generations. This is a relay that we run together, not alone, but together, together, better as a church family. This is a relay where we train for godliness in this present age and for preparation for the age to come. This is a relay that we run with our hopes set on eternity with Christ forever so that we don't quit but rather we keep pressing on knowing that God's grace always holds us up. Here's the, last here's the last life application as we hope in the eternal promise. Life application five, decide every day that you, you won't stop 
running this gospel relay. Jesus said that his disciples must take up their crosses daily and follow him. And as we do, we will eventually and certainly reach the end of our race and be greeted by the Lord himself who will exchange that cross with the crown of glory. And may this be the vision, may this be the goal that we hold on to, assured that God's grace holds on to us infinitely tighter. Thus, make the decision every day or as often as you remember, and especially when we gather together as a church. Decide every day that you will not stop running this gospel relay. So hoping in the eternal promise is the fifth and final way that we guard the gospel that's been entrusted to us. Now let's return to the Zoom gathering to respond to God's word together. God bless you.